Easy parking with Easy Trip. Now available at Dundrum Town Centre. So you can now use your toll tags to park in our car parks. Simply register at easytrip.ie forward slash parking. Easy parking with Easy Trip. Dundrum, where more happens. Welcome to Real Talk One-on-One, an interview with Dr. Tanya Israel. At the National Multicultural Summit, Dr. Bedford Palmer catches up with Dr. Tanya Israel, psychologist and professor at UC Santa Barbara in counseling psychology with a specialty in LGBT populations. She's an editor of the Handbook of Social Justice in Counseling Psychology. During the interview, Dr. Israel reflects on factors that inspire her work in social justice. For more information, check out our website, namingitpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blog Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Naming It Podcast. And if you haven't already grabbed your Naming It gear, check out our swag on teespring.com. All right, so we're here with Dr. Tanya Israel uh, from UC Santa Barbara, and we're at the National Multicultural Summit and Con- Conference in um, Portland, Oregon. And uh, she's graciously um, allowed us to do an interview. And so, uh, hi. Hi. <laughs> so I was wondering, um, we had some questions and I'm saying we, but it's just me here, but like me and, and, uh, Lamisha, who is in the conference doing other interviews, um, we were wondering, um, how does your work, could you describe your work and kind of just give us a quick introduction to who you are? Sure. Absolutely. So I'm a professor at UC Santa Barbara in counseling psychology, and my work is primarily, um, on supporting, um, LGBT individuals and communities. And so I've... I've done that in various ways. I'm, I'm interested primarily in interventions, so looking at LGBT people's experiences in therapy. I've also done things like training on LGBT issues for law enforcement. Recently, we've developed online interventions uh, to reduce internalized stigma for LGBT people. So that's mostly my research, um, but I also do a lot of work in the community um, as well, and so that's kind of where the social justice piece kind of meets the researcher um, counseling psychologist piece. Wow. So, um, so it's obvious that social justice, I mean, everything that you're talking about is about kind of helping marginalized communities. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about, um, kind of the experience of doing that type of work? Yes. Um, I, I will say that when I was in graduate school, which was now like 20 years ago when I was trying to decide what to do my dissertation on, and I thought about doing something on training therapists to work with, at the time, LGB clients. We weren't talking about T as much, unfortunately, at that point. But um, And I said to my advisor, Gail Hackett, I said, um, if I do my dissertation on LGB issues, am I ever going to get a job in academia? Because it really seemed like at the time that could be a barrier to me. Um, because it was a very different time period. And she said, well, well, okay, let's look at your CV so far. Okay, you've got um, a degree in women's studies, um, a master's degree in sexuality education, and you just did a qualitative study on female strippers. She said, you know what? You're already sunk, so you might as well do what you want. <laughs> so, you know, I want to take a second and just pause for a minute yeah. because I, I feel like I, I, I'm 
may have microaggressed um, in our in, in in the beginning because I didn't ask you what your preferred uh, gender pronoun was, and I, I I went straight to she. So I um, I want to apologize for that, and I also want to just ask, you know, what's your preferred gender pronoun? Yeah, thank you for asking. She, her, and hers. Thank you, thank you. Mine's he, him, and his. Great. Um, so uh, and I, I wanted to leave that on because I also think that like it's important for folks to understand that even if you make a mistake, you should be able to to call yourself out and um, and try to fix it and not wait until the end or do it in secret. Yeah, so. absolutely. I, I, I totally agree with that and I mess up stuff all the time and I think that, you know, that's probably one of the most important things is to have that awareness and to, to be able to address it when you can. Thank you, thank you. So, um, my next question um, is, so, what motivated you to, to do this type of work um, in terms of, like, working in there's so many ways that you could express yourself as a psychologist um working in social justice can be really hard um so why'd you why'd you go into that Okay, it's a little bit of a long story, but... We have fun. <laughs> okay, good. So it really started um, in 2000 or 2001. Um, there was a counseling psychology conference in Houston, and Nadia Fuad was the president of uh, the Society of Counseling Psychology at the time. And um, the, the focus of that conference was on social justice and counseling psychology, because counseling psychology really has roots in social justice. Right. And, um, and, and we had you know, in some ways, a lot of the work that we had done since then, you know, maybe doing more individual therapy than trying to respond to managed care stuff and all of these things. And and there was an interest in getting back to some of our social justice roots. So I went to that conference. It was early in my professional career, and it made a huge impact on me. Um, and through a variety of, I'm not going to go into all the details of the, the, the various steps along the way, but I got connected with other people who are interested in doing social justice. We ended up doing a roundtable at APA a few years after that. Um, and so um, I was then asked to be part of a project to do a handbook for social justice and counseling psychology together with Rebecca Toporek, uh, Nadia Fuad, um, Larry Gerstein, and uh, Gargi Roysikar, and which was... You you know, th- those are all people who do amazing, amazing work, and and I, you know, had shown um, you know some capacity, I guess, or interest in in these things enough that they asked me to join them, and um, so then as one of the editors on this handbook. Uh, we really wanted to sort of put out there a vision for how people can do social justice as counseling psychologists. Because it wasn't clear to me. It wasn't part of my training at all. It was definitely where my heart was, but not what I knew how to do. And so as I'm editing these chapters of these people who are doing this amazing work to change the structures of society and work collaboratively with communities, I was like, I want to do more of that. And I had a better idea then of how to do more of that. So it really that that really shifted things for me. And at the same time, um, I had funding from NIH at the time to to um, uh, a career development grant, and there was some interest from NIH and from the particular part of NIMH where I was getting my funding to do more 
community-based participatory research, which I have to say I was super surprised that NIH, like I didn't expect like federal funders say get into the community and collaborate with people. But they were realizing that when you develop interventions in a lab setting and then you try to translate them out into the community, it just doesn't always work. So they're like, well, what if you start in the community? So that was going on. So there was a funding piece. Can I Uh, pause? Oh, I guess so, yeah, No, no, no. Uh, One of the things that we do is because what when me and Lamisha were talking, right, we, yeah. and we go into Dr. Palmer and Dr. Hill, and we start using like inside baseball. C- oh right, talk. right. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could just quickly tell us, uh, tell the listeners like what NIH is and NIMH. Yeah, yeah, sure. NIH is the National Institutes of Health, and NIMH is the National Institute of Mental Health, which is one of those institutes. So it's a federal funding agency, and they fund research, um, and they fund research about health. And so, um, you know, a lot of it when we think about research, we sometimes think about, you know, people in these lab settings and they're doing stuff that's really disconnected from the community and they're just publishing in peer-reviewed journals. I mean, just publishing in peer-reviewed journals. Like, that's, that's a big deal, you know, right. to be able to do that. But um, but it doesn't have a lot of connection to uh, to society all the time and, and to the community and, and to the people um, who are being affected by the research or who are being studied in the research. So, so that's the whole idea with community-based participatory research is not only are you in the community, but you're actually collaborating with community members um, to generate the ideas for the research, to ask the questions, to interpret the findings, all of that. So it, it's, a, it's a way of doing it that we're not just going out there and saying, we want your data so that we can get tenure, you know, right. um, but, it, but it's really working together, um, trying to answer some of the questions that the community has too. And at that same time, I did get tenure. And so once I got tenure, I was like, oh, I might be you know, in Santa Barbara for a while. And so I, so, and, and I got tired of just sitting in my research office coming up with research ideas because I could do that till the cows come home. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I thought I want to get out in the community and work with them. So, so that really shifted me and shifted my work out into the community more. Wow. Thank you for letting us know about that. It sounds like, um, it was, it, it added, uh, it was a, add a value plus to what you're doing. It gave you some some extra fulfillment that you couldn't just find sitting in the office, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the interesting thing is once I got out into the community and started saying, you know, what kinds of questions um, do, does the community want to answer about themselves? And I was working particularly with LGBT communities. Uh, then it led me to do some stuff. You know, we, 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 did a, we did a survey. They wanted to know about, you know, people's sense of community and what the community priorities are. And one of the priorities was freedom from harassment and violence. And so I was working collaboratively with the local LGBT organization who, like, took that information to the chief of police, who remarkably said, oh, this is a community priority. Fine. I'm going to mandate a five-hour training on LGBT issues for every sworn officer in the city of Santa wow. Barbara. And, like, we were like, what? Because that never happens. And that was amazing. So so then it's like, all right, now we need to collect some more data from the community about, like, your experiences with law enforcement so we can inform this training that we're doing and and do that and then evaluate it. And so it ended up, like, turning into this really robust um, project where it benefited the community. We got a bunch of publications out of it. And 
this is a really exciting thing. And then um, I I get this email saying, so can you come present at a congressional briefing um, on the Violence Against Women Act? And I was like, well, I'm really flattered, but I don't do research on violence against women. And um, and th- this was from SPISI, which is the, so- the Society for the Psychological Study of Social Issues. They said, well, we're putting together a panel um, about the Violence Against Women Act, and it's being held up in Congress because they've put some things in there about services for LGBT people, and there's some pushback around that. And so we need someone who can speak to uh, the preparation of law enforcement and mental health providers on LGBT issues. I was like, okay, well, now that's exactly what I do. (laughs) But the cool thing is that once I started being responsive to community, then I was doing work that was more relevant for policymakers, too. And that was really exciting. So that was a big social justice move for me. It's like, oh, I can do research that actually informs policy. And wow. and that's like a whole different level of things. And I I stumbled into that, but I wouldn't have stumbled into it without without the community. Wow. I mean, I, I feel like you just gave a blueprint to a lot of young up-and-coming people and like how they can uh, hopefully at some point get, get on your level, including myself. Uh, so after this interview, I'm definitely going to be trying to pick your mind a little bit about how you did that. Uh, can I ask you, so while you're doing all this work... Um, Social justice work can be really hard. Uh, there's a lot of exposure to a lot of um, a lot of difficult situations that people live in, and it can bring up stuff in, in us. And, and um, yeah, it can be hard. So I'm, I'm wondering, um, how do you take care of yourself while you're engaging in this work? That's a really good question. I mean, I think that we're all like, you know, it, you can always choose to not do social justice work, right? Um, but. I find that doing social justice work puts me in community with the people who help to support me through doing the social justice work. Because right. one of the things that takes care of me is knowing that I'm not the only one doing it. Mm. And there's it's it's um and in fact when I got out of doing stuff stuff just professionally and I started doing more um, stuff politically in my community. Uh, in 2007, okay. Now, this is another this is another angle of what brought me into doing social justice work. In 2007, Barack Obama came to speak in Santa Barbara, and I went to hear him speak, and I was moved to tears. I mean, he was talking about Darfur, and I didn't really know much about that, and I still don't. I'm sorry to say, and I thought, okay, well, this is really interesting that I'm you know moved to tears. It's not enough to to make me want somebody to be president, but it's enough to make me want to find out more about them. So then I read The Audacity of Hope, and I was like, okay, now I want this guy to be president. So then I started getting engaged in the political community, and I had never done that before. I'd never worked on a campaign before, and so I started volunteering, and I did my first um, my first canvas, and then I started the first uh, leadership team for um, for Obama in in Santa Barbara, and then like two months later, I was like running the local campaign, um, and I got a lot of skills doing that, which was amazing about how to do organizing and stuff. But even more than that, I got a whole community of people who have been working for my rights and for my values my whole life and I was never part of it and I and so that was amazing to be able to collaborate with this whole group of people but also then to say okay now that I know how to do this stuff I can't stop doing it so I've kept being involved politically and that's given me 
like a support network. It's given me other people who are doing it. I think do, trying to do it in isolation is one of the most challenging things. But if you're doing it with other people, then you're getting something back from that too. I mean, those people, that's my family now, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And um, so, so that's a big piece of it. All right. Thank you. Uh, family and social support. I mean, it, it, it's, it, I think it's one of those common pieces that a lot of people don't don't pay attention to, you know. Um, so we're at the, the the end of the interview, and what we like to do, uh, being that we're naming it, and we're gonna we, we have our own particular mission about calling out the elephant in the room. Um, I'm wondering in in your work and um, maybe in, in in out of the things that we were talking about, is there a particular kind of elephant in the room, a particular thing that doesn't get called out generally that you would like to just kind of point out and 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 and, and name for us? Um, yes. It's hard talking about the elephant in the room because when you asked, I was like, I have an immediate idea and I'm a little nervous talking about it. Um, so working with um, communities of people and individuals who are really strongly affiliated with a marginalized identity, and, and myself included, like like uh, people listening to this can't see me, but I am a biracial Asian American bisexual Jewish Buddhist woman. And so I've got a lot of target identities, and, and, and I've been um, strongly affiliated with those identities. Um, but the thing is that I've also got a lot of privilege, um, okay? I'm also a relatively light-skinned cisgender uh, currently able-bodied person who grew up with a lot of economic and educational privilege. So I have all of that. Um, and, And that part's harder to talk about. And that part's harder for, I think, people who are strongly affiliated with marginalized identities to recognize. And that, and, and so, so that, that results in a couple of things. I mean, I think people feeling their vulnerability really prominently all the time. Um, and, and we have a lot of vulnerabilities. We also affect other people, you know? And so I think recognizing that sometimes when we're reacting out of our vulnerabilities, we also have to recognize the impact that that's having on other people. Um, so that's the piece of it. And, I, and, it, and I'm nervous saying that because I recognize those vulnerabilities are real. And the pain that people experience and the microaggressions and oppression and violence, like all of that is real. And somehow we also have to recognize that even when we're experiencing all that, we're still affecting other people too. All right. Uh, it looks like you named it, and uh, uh, I think that's a, that's a great, great, great place to uh, to leave it. Thank you so much for um, for agreeing to take some time and 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 share with our with our namers out there, and um, for sitting, coming, and finding the the little basement area of the hotel where we're sitting in this corner doing this. Uh, I really, really appreciate it, and uh, really thankful to have this time with you. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Uh, like I said, peer reviewed journals are great, but we also have to get the word out there more broadly and you're doing it so you are a great role model to me and i'm going to want to pick your brain after we're done with this too okay now i'm i'm, I'm, I'm blushing uh you can't see it because of melanin in my skin but uh yeah i'm a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fanboy right now and I, I just got told by by real real big people that i'm not i'm doing a good job so we're done with this and uh y'all keep naming it and uh we'll see you later thanks peace
For more information, check out our website, NavyGetPodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blog Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Naming It Podcast.